That's not easy. And I, I just ask that you lift him up, encourage him, and I pray that he knows that we're behind him and that we support him and that we love him and that we're looking forward to what he has to say right now. Father, thank you for that and thank you for your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I do feel that support and that that love from you all and you all have made this transition very smooth and I appreciate each of you so thank you for that um, you know as as corporations as manufacturers have become uh, more and more diverse in what they make they've had to get more and more creative with the kind of warning labels they put on their products I've actually uh, was given a list this past week of some different types of warning labels that manufacturers have had to put on their products. And when you read the warning label, you get some clue as to how this item was misused by somebody. Maybe they sued the company as a result of what happened, but it's made for some very creative warning labels. I'm going to go through some of my favorites right now. Um, one, uh -oh. caution, the contents of this bottle should not be fed to fish. That was on a bottle of shampoo for dogs, okay? Don't feed your fish dog shampoo. Warning, this product can burn eyes on a curling iron. Yeah, I mean, who knew, right? Who knew? Eating rocks may lead to broken teeth on a novelty rock garden set called Popcorn Rock. What do you do with Popcorn Rock? Do not dangle the mouse by its cable or throw the mouse at co-workers. That was in a computer manual. Do not use as earplugs on a package of Silly Putty. I, I think I may have done that a time or two. The second, next, this is, um, I think this is a gross one. Recycled flush water unsafe for drinking on a toilet at a public sports facility in Ann Arbor, Michigan. This is my favorite. Wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly on a child-sized Superman costume. <laughs> Halloween's coming up just in case you get the inclination to fly. And you're not Batman because you put on the Batman costume. So all of these products were, tried, were used in a way that the designer did not intend. The designer of the toilet did not intend someone to drink the water out of it. The designer of the Superman costume did not intend someone for try to, to, to try to fly. It does make me wonder what kind of warning label should come on a marriage certificate. It was actually a legislator from Massachusetts, from Massachusetts who did suggest that marriage licenses come with a warning label that said abusing one's spouse is a crime. It was comedian Rodney Dangerfield. He said once that my wife and I were very happy for 20 years and then we met. <laughs> and unfortunately, this is sort of the age that we're living in now. There are a lot of unhappy marriages out there. There's way too many divorces. We all, we all know that. 
Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there was a, a man writing a book. His name Shapiro. He was writing a book called You Can Be Right or You Can Be Married. And in that, he concluded that very few married people are happy. He says it's only about 17%, as a matter of fact. One poll finds that about 6 in 10 of us are unhappily coupled. 4 out of 10 say they have considered leaving their partner. And 1 in 10 don't even trust their partner anymore. So what's going on? Could it be because we are not paying attention to the way the designer designed marriages to be? And if we get away from that, if we get away from God's design for marriage, there can also be unintended consequences. So this morning we're going to jump into this design for marriage. How did God design marriage? What did He design it to be? And we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, we'll be reading verses 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And if you would please stand with me as we read this passage. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word, so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ also does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This, this mystery is great but I'm actually speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each one of you must also love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You may be seated. So this morning, I, um, I'm going to conclude this series that we've been doing on the book of Ephesians. How do you walk? How do you conduct life? Last week, we started the discussion on wisdom. Today, we're going to conclude this discussion on wisdom and this series on Ephesians, on how to apply wisdom in marriage. How do you apply wisdom in marriage? And I'm dividing this sermon into two main sections. First, we'll talk to the ladies, then we'll talk to the men. Uh, for the ladies, we'll talk first about what submission isn't, then we'll talk about what submission is. And for the guys, we're going to talk about the three L's, okay? The three L's of being a godly husband. So we start out there in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 22, and we see that wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, and also, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So in these verses, we see the command, we see the reason for the command, and then we see the example. So the command is, wives, be submissive or be subject to your husbands. Now, in Paul's times, the Jews had been heavily influenced by Greek culture. So, actually, women were told to be submissive because they were thought to be inferior. 
Now, that does not square with the Scriptures. I'll say that up front. As a matter of fact, if you go back in the Old Testament, nowhere does it suggest that women are in any way inferior to men. Uh, when Eve was created, she was created as, and the Hebrew word is an ezer, to Adam. Sometimes that is translated helper. But even the word helper can kind of have this connotation of subordination. And that's really not what's intended. That same word ezer is used to refer to God sometimes. And it means someone who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's one who meets our needs. Uh, and in that context, the word seems to express the idea of an indispensable companion. Someone that you can't do without. The woman should supply what the man was lacking in the design of creation. Then logically, it would follow that the man would supply what she was uh, lacking. Although that's not explicitly stated, that's what it's implying. So the Old Testament nowhere suggests inferiority. Then beyond that, we can go to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4 through 7. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but just in summary, Paul explains that both the husband and wife have complete rights over the other person's body. That would have been unheard of in the culture that Paul lived in. That just wasn't the case. So Paul, unlike all the men of his time, saw that in God's eyes, men and women were qualitatively equal, that neither was either inferior or superior to the other. The basis for submission has nothing to do with value. Then in verse 22, it continues, how is the wife then to submit? It says, as to the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, well, one thing that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that the wife is submitted to the husband in the same way that she submits to God. Now, what that does mean is that submitting to your husband is, is service to God in the same way that you serve the Lord at church by, in, in whatever way you may, it may be by teaching or ushering uh, or however you may serve God, submitting to her husband is service to God. That's what it's rendered as. It's one of the areas that a wife serves the Lord is by submitting to her husband. So then, that's the why. What's the reason for submission? It says there in verse 23, Because the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, he himself being Savior of the body. He says something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So, so what's all that mean? I mean, seriously. Um, where are we going with this? Now, I want to make sure, I, I, I don't want to be, I don't think I can be too clear about this. In no way does this in any way denote superiority. That men are superior to women. As a matter of fact, I think women secretly know that they're probably superior to their husbands in many ways. I got amens in the first service when I said that, <laughs> by the way. So Paul's not saying that men are superior, but he's talking about authority. And we'll unpackage that more in a moment. Then there's this next statement um, saying that Christ is the Savior of the church, his body. And Paul will allude to this in the next section as well. 
But that is to say that Christ was willing to die for the church. He loved the church so much that he was going to give himself up for her. That's the gospel. Then it goes on, verse 24, to say that the wife is to submit to the husband in everything. Now, for the time, in the time Paul was living, the family structure was such that the, the dad had all the power. Uh, he had power over his daughter even after she was married. He had the power to say, you need to divorce your husband. He even continued to have power over his children. So in Paul's time, this was a message primarily to dads, that your daughters are not to submit to you, but rather they're to be submitting to their husbands. So that's a huge distinction in time, is that submission at the time was to the father, and Paul's saying, no, this is to the husband. So he's redefining the nature of a father's relationship to his married daughter. So the scriptures do assert here that a wife is to submit to her husband, but then what does that mean? Okay? What does that mean today? Uh, first, I want to give three things that submission is not. So, first of all, submission is not agreeing on everything. It doesn't mean that a husband and wife have to agree on everything. Um, many ladies here, or a few, or, or none, maybe, I, I don't know, could be married to a husband who's, who's not a believer. He may even suggest that you give up your Christian faith. And what do you say to that? You can't do that. You belong to Jesus. And he's the one to whom you are first and foremost accountable to. If he were to tell you you can't go to church again, who... Who are you submitting to? You're required to submit to the Lord before you submit to your husband. That's true for all of us. Um, Paul's going to say in 1 Corinthians 7 that if a husband is to say to you, I just can't be married to a Christian, that you let him go. Now, that doesn't necessitate divorce. That's not what I'm implying here. But if, if a husband has just come to the conclusion he can't be married to a Christian... Uh, then the scriptures say, well, you let him go. It's the same way for a husband. I have a pastor friend in town whose wife left him after he became a believer. So you have your own opinions. And any man, I, I said this once before, any man who's treating their wife as any kind of an intellectual inferior has really got it screwed up. First, you know, again, I think... Women probably know in, in, privately that they are intellectually superior in, in many ways. Uh, but if you think that, if you think that, that leadership means because you are smarter, that's just out there. That is not the case. All throughout a healthy marriage, we're going to deal with someone who's different thoughts about things. Your spouse may have different political ideas. Uh, you may like different room temperatures. Our thermostat has got mine and my wife's fingerprints all over it. <laughs> One hotter than colder. But you know what? That's okay. That is all part of working out this one flesh union. And it takes time. Uh, leadership does not mean that you're always right. As a matter of fact, a good leader will often say, you were right and I was wrong. So first of all, we don't have to agree on everything. Secondly, it doesn't mean that you 
Don't try to influence your husband. Um, it doesn't mean that you avoid the effort to influence or change your husband, especially if he's sinning in some way, especially if he's not a believer. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 3, uh, it says, In the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Then, even if some are disobedient to the word, they will be won over without a word by the way you live when they see your pure and reverent conduct. So, uh, a wife here is clearly trying to change her husband. Um, if you're, again, if your husband is living in sin um, or unbelief, you keep praying. You keep making the gospel known to him. And the, the loudest way you can do that is just by the way you're living. So it doesn't mean that you're not trying to influence someone. And then third, submission does not mean living or acting in fear. Uh, if you're in fear of your spouse, then there's a, a big issue going on. In no way should a husband try to make his wife submit. There was a horrible situation whenever I was in seminary, as a matter of fact. Probably one of the, the worst I had heard of a, of a man who would make his wife crawl on the floor to get money to buy groceries. That's one of the worst abuses of this passage that I'd ever heard. And they're out there. Yet one of the, one of the most challenging parts of this passage is, is the abuse that's happened as a result of it. How it's been abused and misunderstood. So this isn't about acting in fear. As a matter of fact, I believe a God-fearing wife is fearless of everything else. So, um, in light of everything we've said, what it's not, well then, what is it? And I love the way Kathy Keller says this. She's the spouse of Tim Keller. He's a pastor in, in New York City at Redeemer Presbyterian. This is what she says about what submission is. She says, submission means that in matters of disagreement, I yield to Tim, the deciding vote. I get a vote, he gets a vote, he gets the deciding vote. And this actually came up, for the, the, came up for the two of them when they were trying to determine whether or not they should move to New York City. They were living in Virginia at the time, and Tim Keller was feeling a call to move to New York City. His wife wasn't necessarily feeling the same thing. And they had a disagreement. He thought they should move. She thought they shouldn't. She didn't want to move to New York City. And finally, he said, you know what? I concede. He said, if, if you don't want to move to New York City... Then, then let's don't do it. Then she looked at him and said, no way! She said, you're not going to pin this on me. I'm not the one that's going to be responsible for this. You know, my wife and I had a very similar thing come up between us. And it wasn't about moving to Wyoming. We, that was, we were ready. But when we were trying to decide where we were going to go to seminary, we'd visited one seminary in North Carolina, and they had great housing. It was a it was a good school, but I just kept getting pulled to, to Dallas, Texas. Well, she did not want to move to Dallas, Texas. And she made her opinion known that she didn't want to move to Dallas, Texas. But she also said this. She said, Chad, I am not going to come between what you, you believe, where you believe God is leading us, and, and what God is wanting to do. She said, I, I'm not going to come between that. So we moved to Dallas. And it was tough. It was tough. Um, ultimately, we both believed it was the right decision. Thank God. 
He brought us along there. So it's this idea of the, the deciding vote. Um, yeah, we all have someone that we have to submit to in life. If it's, if it's not the government, you know, it, it's a supervisor, we see submission within the Godhead. We see the, the Son submitting to the will of the Father. We see the Holy Spirit submitting to, to the will of the Son. You actually see that at the end of the book of John. So submission is very much a part of life. It's something that we all have to do. I took vows when I was ordained that I would always submit to the elder board. Um, so submission is part of the Christian walk. So how do we embrace God's design for marriage? First, it's by a spouse, a wife submitting to her husband. And I know how countercultural this is. There is nothing in our culture that's going to say that this is okay, that this is normal, that this is right. However, this is what the scriptures are saying. Hopefully, this is just in the rare circumstances when we're disagreeing on something, something, something big. In which case, the husband, at, at the will of the wife, gets to cast the deciding vote. So now we move on to this next section, which is actually quite a bit lengthier. It's almost triple the length of the previous, which focuses on the role of the husband. So it's about triple the amount of of things that God is saying for the husband to do. And in this, I want to talk about the three L's. There's going to be three L words here, husbands, for you to, to pick up on. So first of all, starting in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word, so that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stained wrinkle, or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. So the first L, as you might have guessed, is to love your wife. Love your wife. You see this picture of Christ willfully dying for the church, for her own good, to make her pure and spotless and blameless. By the way, that picture you have of your wife walking down the aisle towards you on your wedding day, she's wearing that white wedding dress, it's a picture of the church. The bride of Christ, holy and blameless, made holy and blameless by the washing of Christ's blood. Whenever I was living in Dallas, Texas, I was serving in a church as an intern. I'll never forget something that the pastor said at that church in regard to marriage. He said that most marriages sour not because of major problems, but because the wife just isn't convinced that her husband loves her. Guys, it is our job to convince our wives that we love them. Not just on the wedding day, but the day after, and tomorrow, and the thousand tomorrows after that. Um, you know, it, it's easy for me to say, yes, I would, I would die for my wife. I would do it. But if we're going to be honest, how many times does that opportunity really present itself? More often than not, it's, yes, honey, I would die for you. I just, just let me sit in this recliner a little while longer because I'm, that, that diaper, could, could you take care of that diaper? I mean, I'm really enjoying this football game. Will I get up out of my recliner is the real question. It's the day-to-day -day decisions that will convince our wives one way or another if we really love them. 
Then the text goes on, starting at verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds it. He takes care of it, just as Christ also does the church. For we are members of his body. Now I will tell you that I have never missed a meal. Not, and by the way, nobody's ever disagreed with me on that. Um, I know what I like to eat. I, I eat the things I enjoy. I, I know my body that way. I know what it, it enjoys, what it likes. Well, that means, according to this passage, how can you love your wife like your own body? Well, it means you have to know her. Okay, so that next L is learn about your wife. Learn about your wife. Um, women are wonderfully complex, especially to men. We don't always understand, but it's our job to figure it out. Do you know how your wife best receives love? For my wife, it's quality time. If I have not spent quality time with her, she's going to be questioning. Things aren't going to be quite right. How does your wife receive love? There's a great book called The Five Love Languages. It talks about different ways that people receive love. Uh, maybe it's by an act of service. Maybe it's by offering her affirming words. Do you know what kind of flowers she likes? It was funny. I was walking into Albertsons a couple of weeks ago, and I was going to buy my wife flowers. And walking in, I thought to myself, you know, somebody's going to see me buying these flowers, and what are they going to think? They're going to think she's mad at me. Sure enough, I saw somebody. They, the first thing, I, what did you do to make your wife mad? It was a preemptive flower buy, okay? Um, so God made us different. If we were exactly alike, if men and women were exactly alike, we would be unnecessary. Gender would be unnecessary. But we're made to complement each other, these indispensable companions. So learn your wife. Spend quality time with her. And then finally, and this is actually derived from the previous section, lead your wife. Lead your wife. Do you know what one of the symptoms of a dying society is? It's when that society ceases to acknowledge God's designs. Nations come and go. God's judgment comes and goes. And there's been a huge movement to try to eliminate God-given distinctions between the genders. Trying to violate God's designs is like trying to violate the law of gravity. It's not going to work. God created man to lead his wife, to be the initiator in the relationship. And a woman is designed to respond to that loving leadership of her husband. Sin has jacked this up. And it jacked it up right there in the garden in the very beginning. Now, there's a big difference between leading and lording. Uh, if we as husbands have a view of ourselves of sort of being the king of the castle and our rule goes, well, you, we, we've messed it up already. Um, a wife should never be submissive out of fear. If there's fear, then there's a lack of love, and that's sin. Now, there's also an issue if we move too far to the other side, if we become passive husbands. No, we're not lord of the castles, but neither are we to be passive in the relationship. 
If we're completely passive in the relationship, uh, we're, we're going to have very frustrated wives. And there's a pretty good way to gauge that passivity. Who is the one in the relationship that's always saying, let's fill in the blank. Let's work on our finances. Let's make sure the house is taken care of. Let's go say, who is the one that's always saying, let's do this? That person is typically the initiator. Now, I believe me, as I was going through this passage, more than one time, I had to go and apologize to my wife. It puts a mirror right up in front of you. I get that. But guys, we need to be the initiators. We need to be saying, let's fill in the blank most often. Um, that's not dictation. And that certainly doesn't mean that we don't listen. We are fools if we do not listen to our wives. Most of the mistakes, I actually say some of the biggest mistakes I've made is when I didn't listen to my wife. Last week, as a matter of fact, when I used that example of uh, my wife and I going to this big water park, and we were so excited to get there that we kind of ran past the lockers, and I left my car keys in my pocket. And I got to the bottom of a ride, and the keys were gone. Guess who it was that said, hey, maybe we should get a locker to put the car keys in? Yes, it was my wife. No, 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 honey. This tiny piece of Velcro will keep it in the pocket. <laughs> I will say that even though the 75 cents turned into a $110 fee for a locksmith to come and key our car again, not one time did she say, I told you so. She showed me a lot of grace. If your wife is better with finances, then you better listen to her. If she's better at knowing where the kids are and where they need to be, you better listen to her. If those things aren't happening, then the responsibility is on you and I. The best leaders always listen to their advisors. And our wife is probably the best advisor we have. We don't need to be right. Men, we don't need to have the last word. So then, embrace God's design. for marriage by submitting to your husband and by being, and I'm calling it an L-cubed husband, loving, learning, and leading your wife. And in closing, I want to share this excerpt from Christopher Ashe's book called Married for God. He's reflecting on different Christian marriages. And he said in this book that some years ago, a dispute arose in the British government between the Foreign Office and the Treasury. The argument was which British ambassadors are going to get to drive Rolls Royces. The Treasury said, well, it should just be a few, you know, in major capitals like Washington, D.C. and Moscow. However, the Foreign Office had a different argument. They said, no, we shouldn't do that. And they had a completely different line of reasoning. And this was very interesting. They said this, most people in a foreign capital have never been to Britain, they said. But when they see this magnificent car gliding through their streets with the United Kingdom flag on the hood, they will say to themselves, I have not been to Britain, I don't know much about Britain, but if they make cars like that there, then Britain must be a wonderful place. In a similar way, it is Christ's hope 
that men and women may say to themselves as they watch a Christian marriage, I have never seen God. Sometimes I wonder when I look at the world if God is good or if there is a God. But if he can make a man and a woman love one another like this, if he can make this husband show costly faithfulness through sickness as well as health, if he can give him resources to love his wife with Christ-like sacrifice, well, then he, must be, there, then he must be a good God. And if Christ can give this wife grace to submit so beautifully with such an attractive spirit, then again, he must be a good God. Please pray with me. Father God, without your grace, no promise is sure. Strengthen our marriages with patience and kindness and gentleness and all the gifts of the Spirit so that we may fulfill the vows that we've made to each other. Keep us faithful to each other and to you. Fill us with such love and joy that we can build homes of peace. We ask in all the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Thank you all so much for coming today.